Today's episode is brought to you by YCharts. Go to YCharts, tell them that we sent you for a 20% off a new subscription. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson work for Ritholtz Wealth Management. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. YCharts has this thing called a one-page report for any company that you're looking at. So I brought up Netflix because that was very much in the news this week. And so it shows you the income statement, the balance sheet, cash flow statement for the last, I don't know, called six years. And what really stands out here, looking through this, is the company's free cash flow, which has been getting more and more negative in the recent years. So at 2015, it was under a billion dollars. And in the last 12 months, their free cash flow is negative $3 billion. So I posted a quick one on Twitter about this. And I, the great thing about Y charts, why I like them is the, the search function is pretty easy. So I just typed in Netflix. And then if you want to look for a metric, you just type it in and it'll give you 10 options that you can choose from. So I, I compared Netflix price to free cash flow from the past 12 months. And they're going in opposite directions. So the price is going up and to the right. The free cash flow is going down and to the right. And it's negative $3 billion over the past... 12 months. But the problem is the stock price has exploded in that time. So who cares, right? Is that the deal? Well, investors haven't cared and maybe they're going to start to care. So I was looking at this and, I, and I'm looking at the performance. So I emailed our contact at Ytron and said, hey, I think the performance is broken. It says 54% over the last three years. And then I go to Ytron and I'm saying that it's like 270%. And he goes, no, 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 that's right. It's annualized. And I was like, oh, duh. I saw but, you got you got actually pretty pretty hard there. <laughs> in my defense, I think I, I sent the email before I had coffee. But the stock has done ridiculously well over the last few years, to say the least. So here's my problem with these tech companies. I guess, I guess this is always going to happen, but it seems like this happens with Apple probably once every 18, 24 months. Like there comes an earnings report and everyone goes, okay, that's it. New story. This is it's totally over. Whatever happened before, it, this is like a new this is a new thing. And they're doing it with Netflix now too last week, whatever the numbers were, they kind of disappointed. And they said, all right, that's it. Is, it. is this a new day for Netflix? And does it always have to be that that important? These one quarter, like everyone's always like, oh, you got to think and act long term. And then we get this one quarterly report where everyone goes, all right, that's it. This company is totally different now. Okay. Normally you would be right, but it okay, is you're gonna do Okay. You're going to do this? <laughs> I am doing this oh. right here, right now. Okay. I'd like to hear this argument because I think that that's a bunch of hogwash every time they do it. Like every once in a while, that's the case. But most of the time, like this just happens when a company has seen such insane growth. Okay. To the stock price, I would agree. However, look at what I have in the Google Doc. It is actuals versus forecasts, global subscribers, forecasts versus actuals. And look at the degree to which they missed this time. They were expected to add 5 million users and they only added 2.7, which is a humongous loss. Okay. So who missed here? The analysts or Netflix? Well, it's a difference. The anal- Maybe the analysts just got too far ahead of themselves. Right, maybe maybe that's the, I'm, I'm, that's not being cute. That's being realistic. You're looking at analyst estimates here. Maybe they're the ones who messed up and not Netflix. Well, it doesn't matter because the stock price is reacting to the to the estimates. Okay, but is this the kind of thing in no? But hold on, twelve Here's to fifteen months, we're gonna look back and go, 
Oh, that was stupid. Why did Netflix drop 10% in a, in a week or a day? Maybe. That's probably what's going to happen. Maybe. All right. They have 150 million subscribers. At some point, that has to slow down. I don't know. It is. Did you see the preview for that Point Blank movie? Uh, that's going to bring... I think the only reason that they made that movie was so people would get it mixed up with Point Break and accidentally click on it. Oh, wait. When you said Point Blank, I... I, I heard slash thought point break there was some movie called point blank that was screaming at me every time i opened it up and it was some cheesy action flick that netflix made that i i'm sure they thought people would click on because they thought it was point break actually that just reminded me of something how my brain automatically thought point break yes so i was talking to a friend about like maybe getting solar panels and i said that because i have brand new (laughs) what are you gonna get solar panels for like the top of your house yeah well hold on okay i'm gonna get there because it's, it's cost effective to do it that way. But I said to him, well, I think I have like new units and my bill, my electricity bill has actually been pretty low. It's been like $85 the past few months. So he said, wait till you get your July statement. So I have had the units cranked up, obviously, because it's been really hot. And so my bill was $285 this month, which I think is like sort of reasonable. And immediately... Like, there was not effort, but my brain said, oh, okay, that's $10 a day. It's not so bad. Yeah, you have to seasonally adjust those numbers because July is always going to be the highest, though, right? What are solar panels going to do for your air conditioning bill? Isn't that for heating? I don't know. I'm not, uh, listen, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apparently, you're not an uh, electrician either. No, doesn't it affect your, your heating and your cooling? I, I, I kind of thought solar panels were just for heating. Maybe I, maybe I could be wrong here. Okay. I, anyway, back to Netflix. I'm not calling it top of the stock. I have no idea. You see some, you see some near-term headwinds. You're cautiously <laughs> optimistic. Listen, all I'm saying is this competition. So what, what did they say was the reason for Netflix seeing the drop-off, though? I guess that's the one thing I didn't really see. Uh, subscriber growth. Okay, no, but, but why, did it, why did it, though? Is there, is there a reason that Netflix saw fewer people sign up? This is your classic law of large numbers. I mean, I, I, could, I could take the idea that there's just going to be so much competition for other streaming content. But I still but, think but Netflix the thing is, is Disney, like the... Disney hasn't even launched yet. Disney is coming out in November. Yeah, I still think Disney versus Netflix is not a thing, though. Because I still think Disney is going to be for parents and kids, and Netflix is going to be for everyone else. Well, maybe it's price increase. The, the cost went up to $13 a month. You know, Ben, I went to the movies on Friday. I by left your... work early. By yourself? By myself. And I was going to see Lion King, but... I feel like I don't need to go to the theater for that. No. You know what you do need to go to the theater for? Top Gun. That is definitely the, one I will go see in the theater. I did go to the theater, and I was telling you last week, I've never seen Top Gun. I don't know how or that's, why. Sh- that's, ugh, that's shame. There's a few other shameful. movies. Like, that's, that's, that's borderline you're a communist. Okay, there's a few other Top movies Gun. like that that are on my list that I I feel like at this point I'm just never going to see them. Like, for instance, uh, The Godfather Part Two. Okay, I, I've only seen the first one, actually. I never saw the second one either. All right, so anyway, so I did go to the movies, and wow, this movie bombed. Well, it's only done $6 million so far. Maybe that's not a bomb, but it feels like a bomb. I saw Crawl. Do you know what that is? Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a really good use of your time. It's like the Meg, but with alligators. Oh, God. <laughs> you should have seen The Lion King then. <laughs> no, but do you, have you seen Comedy Trashers of that movie? Well, a hurricane comes, and they're stuck in the house with alligators. I feel like that was like that was written for me. <laughs> that sounds awful. 
<laughs> we got an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was pretty good. But this is the reason why, like, the critic stuff doesn't matter in a lot of ways. Like, I heard that there was, like, a tepid response to The Lion King, and it still did, like, 500 million. Like, my kids are already listening to the soundtrack every single day. Every time we get in the car, they ask. And they haven't even seen the movie yet. But that It did like, $185 million. This is why, like, whatever the estimates are for Disney+, Plus, I say, like, add a 30% premium, because that thing is going to be enormous. I'm sticking with that call. So maybe that's why, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's why Netflix went down, but I still don't see the... Wait, so are you putting your paper short Netflix trade back on? No, just long Disney. Okay. So the New York Times had a piece about podcasts, and it's funny. It said peak podcast. This kind of reminded me of, like, is value investing dead? I feel like we're going to see, is this peak podcast, like, at least once a year, right, for eternity? Because podcasts yes. are, they're, not, they're probably not going to peak. But it said there are now upwards of seven, 700,000 podcasts, and there's between two and 3,000 new shows launching each month. Wow. But... Between March and May of this year, only 19.3% of existing podcasts introduced a new episode. Meaning, so they're all dead. Yeah, meaning yeah, they're, they're mostly dormant and people started one and then it's hard to kind of stick with it. I thought the anecdote in this uh, story was interesting. People were going to start a podcast called The Advice Podcast. Didn't you kind of feel like this was one of those interviews where, like, the, the when the Wall Street Journal interviews some schmuck Joe, Joe schmuck investor who, like is jumping in and out of the market every week. And like it's like it's not really representative of all investors. They just found this one guy who yes. does well, dumb moves. This is like kind of the woman they interviewed in this in this story. Like she's like, "Oh, I just thought we would start getting MeUndies sponsorships because we're doing this advice podcast even though I have no advice to give." Did you read the article about doctors and regular people getting to private equity? Yes. Was that the journal or the Times because that was also a fluff piece? That was but New York hold- Times. Oh, so New York Times, two for two with the Nothing Burgers. I didn't realize that. So Conan just tweeted that he is finishing up season one with Julia Lewis Dreyfus. I didn't realize that he just started the podcast. I feel like I've been listening to him for a while. I didn't. I guess I didn't realize it was isn't seasons either that he's doing it this way. But yeah, it feels like it's been on for a while. It, definitely the best, my favorite new one of the year. I, I listen to all of them now. I think. So here's my take, my opinion on podcasts. I don't think that they're is peak podcast. I think that like, what does that even mean that maybe the pace of new podcasts is going to slow down? Maybe that's possible. And maybe podcast does settle down. It's like a winner take all type of environment, like everything else these days. I was listening to the rewatchables on, uh, Inglorious bastards, which is probably a top three movie for me. Really? I love that movie. Very good movie. I don't think, no, if I, it would crack my top right, 100. I, you know what? Top three is ridiculous. I, can I take that back right now? Um, <laughs> Definitely top something, though. It's in my top something. I love it, that movie. Is it as good as The Alligator Crossed with Meg? <laughs> Crawl. By the way, I'm not, a, I'm not saying that you should go see Crawl, but if you like... So you're like one of the 35 people in the country that saw the movie this weekend. There was one other person in the theater with me. <laughs> if you like those type of movies, then go see it. If you don't, then don't. But as I was listening to the rewatchables, I thought to myself, I'm not going to probably rewatch Inglorious Bastards. I mean, I've probably seen it five times, but it's, what, two and a half hours? Yeah, it's a long one. And with podcasts, I was in the grocery store listening to this. I came home and I did my dishes and I was listening to this. That's why I like the medium so much is because it doesn't, it just basically fills free time. True. But this, here's why I think the subscription thing with podcasts maybe is never going to take off. You, you don't rewatch, you don't re-listen to a podcast. Like you don't go back and go, oh, that po-. unless you, there's really something you're looking for and digging to like write about or something, 
or a quote you're looking for, you don't really go back and like with Netflix, you can rewatch movies and rewatch shows. Point? I agree, but what's your point? That's why I think that like the subscription model for podcasts is probably not going to take off anytime soon, or it's definitely not going to be as big. I just don't see that working because people don't re-listen to them. You, there just needs to be more and more new content. And maybe that's if 700,000 are out there, there's no there's no shortage of that, but I just don't see how the subscription model works for that, works for podcasting. I also have never listened to, listened to a podcast, but we, what we didn't mention was the new season of Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. Yes, I was going to save that for recommendations. I've, well, I've got let's thoughts. talk about it now, since we're on the content. I pretty much flew through the whole season this weekend. Oh, really? Yes. But what did you think about the Eddie Murphy one? Because that's the only one that I saw. Okay, I, I listened to it. the Jamie Fox one was hilarious. That was probably the best. He's one. great. Jamie Fox, Ricky Gervais was awesome. Martin Short was really good. The Eddie Murphy one. Here's why I liked it. Now, some people say they thought it was kind of boring. I thought it took him a while to heat up. But Jerry Seinfeld probably has to be one of the most like self confident or self aware people on the planet, right? Like he is so confident, like in his own skin. And I felt like Eddie Murphy kind of threw him for a loop. Like I felt it, Jim- it was. It looked awkward. There was they had, at the they beginning. Did not have, it heated yeah. up, but and I thought by the end Eddie was like rolling a little bit. And I I told you there's some Adam Sandler theory happening if Netflix does give Eddie Murphy his own stand up. But now I think I'm t- I'm walking that back. I think he'd kill his stories. Really were great. Oh yeah, I think you're actually yourself. What yes. changed? Watching him with Seinfeld, I thought he like he still got it. He's he's like okay. a very seemed like a very reserved guy, but I think there was I thought it was another comedians in cars where Chris Rock said they all go out and hang out with Eddie Murphy. And he said it could be the best comedians in the world, and Eddie Murphy still will hold that room and, and just crush. So I think if he came back, it would be great. You know but what I, I noticed? What's that? That was kind of interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought this. Seinfeld is one of these guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that? Yeah. Like, more than twice when Eddie Murphy said something funny, Seinfeld gave him an elbow. Yes. And yeah. I, I, I do not like that. Like when you when you, the the people that elbow you in the side when you say something funny, what is that? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. That's why I got to sit at the other side of the table. But I thought like Seinfeld I think was Barry like, does that. He was in that sounds right. He was in <laughs> deference to Eddie Murphy though a little bit. He like, was. That was the first time I've ever seen that. He was like kind of blown away to be in his presence, and that was kind because of, I mean Eddie Murphy was the mega super duper star in the eighties. He was the best stand up comedian. He was on SNL and he was a super duper movie star for like a five year period. He just like owned the world, and then he just kind of went away. Well, so Netflix said $70 million, or was that just a rumor? But he said that he's ready to get back. They're working, yeah, they're working it out. I, that would be, yeah. I, I thought it would, at first, I'm like, ah, that wouldn't work, but I think it would. Okay, I so. I am very excited to see this, that. This stat surprised me this week. Okay. About 37% of U.S. households are free and clear, meaning they no longer have a home mortgage to pay, according to Zillow. But this is a survey. A lot of people don't get into the weeds of it. I looked at it. Did, did that number seem high to you? Almost 40% of people own their home? Yeah. Like, what if, if someone said guess? I would have said, ah, 20% maybe? 15? 12. That's I mean, I guess. I guess if you assume a lot of houses maybe are in families and they're passed down through generations, I don't know. But they said they analyzed data from the American Community Survey, which occurs annually and includes 3.5 million responses. Here's what I want to know. That's a lot of responses. Have you ever received a survey before? Yes. Really? See, I don't think I've ever like received a well, survey for one of these things. They know how staunchly anti-survey you are, so they don't even bother. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on a list. I bet I'm on an anti... <laughs> He's on the anti-survey list. But Hey, how do I get on that list? And they, they talked about how they showed over the, the, like, the past decade, it's gone up a little bit, but it was still, even in 2006, 2007, it was like 35%. They showed in West Virginia, it's the highest state. 54% of people own their homes free and clear. And it's, All right, are you ready to highest, put your, are you, are you, What? I was about to ask you to put your technical analysis hat on. 
Oh, is this, is we have a triple top here? But I, this just this surprised me that it would be this high. And, and of course, some of the states that that are the highest are like the lowest. It was Mississippi and West Virginia and Louisiana, some of the hey, cheaper California, states to live in. Twenty nine percent. Come on, I don't believe that for a second. Yeah, some of these might. Were be, these numbers? Was this survey audited? I don't. That's that's good. that's why I, it just doesn't seem right to me. But uh, maybe. Okay, here's another one on the housing front. So our friends at Unison actually did a study. I think we, we talked about this when we talked with, with Brody for our Talk Your Book. They tried to figure out what the price volatility of owning a home is versus stocks and bonds. And they found, they go back to like 2000, and they found the long term is like 9% for homes, 17% for equities, and 3% for treasuries. Obviously, that's impossible to figure out. And they said it got up to like 40% during the the crisis, which was even higher than the, the stock volatility. So that's kind of interesting. But they, here's a stat that I thought was interesting. Any given home has roughly a 30% chance of ending up being worth less in five years' time than it is today. So this kind of gets back to my starter home thing. And I'm, and I'm guessing that doesn't even take into account things like the cost of, like the frictional cost of changing over house, the closing costs and the realtor fee and all that stuff. What do you think about that number? 30%? Yeah. I mean, if you compare it to the stock market, that's pretty similar to the stock market, right? If you did the five-year, how often is the stock market down? Isn't that about 70, you know, I had, 30? I, I had a very weird dream this week. Boy. Never like started. where... <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing in the history of the world to start off a conversation with. You want to hear about my dream last night? Okay, Where continue. a family member was like, sorry, I have, to, I have to move back in the house and you, you guys have to move. And, I, and one of my first thoughts was like, oh, but we already paid all this money for closing costs and lawyers and all like... I don't know why I had that dream, but my starter home stuff is working on you. Well, or, I was like, I don't want to go to a starter home. <laughs> and I guess it just makes sense. That's the reason why you don't want to make these like short-term decisions because if you just pick the, the wrong neighborhood, the wrong region of the country or whatever, you could be selling at a loss. Plus, you're having all this cost anyway. You know why you're thinking is is classic Midwestern elitist? <laughs> okay, because most I'm people- a flyover elitist. <laughs> Most people have to buy a starter home because that's what they can afford. So what yeah. are you suggesting? Rent longer. Okay. Rent for longer and give yourself some more options and then buy a bigger home that is going to be your one to stay in for 10, 12 years later. That's the thing. I just If you're going to buy a home, make sure you're going to stay into it for, I'd say, at least seven years minimum. That'd be, that'd be my baseline for people as an expectation. Because otherwise, if, you, if you're planning on flipping it quickly... Obviously, in like the bigger cities, that's probably easier to do, but you could get stuck, and that's, that's when you're screwed. Fair? Fair. Elizabeth Warren had a post, My Plan to Reign in Wall Street. Did you read this? No, but I saw a lot of tweets about it, so okay. that means I've well, done a lot of analysis. Good enough. She says, we should start by transforming the private equity industry, the poster child for financial firms that suck value out of the economy. And she gave some stories about retail and newspapers and a lot of companies that we've we've actually spoken about on the show in the past those are companies that were probably going in the wrong direction anyhow or industries I should say but a lot of her solutions in my opinion seem fairly reasonable obviously the politics gets mixed into this because she's running for office and so she has to be a bit over the top but I think some of this stuff is reasonable for instance she said 
preventing lenders. So one of her solutions, I think she gives, she gives like six or seven bullet points. One of them was preventing leaders, uh, I'm sorry, lenders and investment manager, managers from making reckless loans to private equity owned companies already swimming in debt and then passing along the danger to the market by requiring them to retain some of the risk. Fair? Uh, but aren't private equity companies that are already swimming in debt, like those are risky companies in the first place. Correct. That maybe if they didn't have, maybe if they didn't have private equity loans, like they never would have made it in the first place. And so the only, maybe sometimes the only way they can make it out is by adding more debt to the equation and just hoping against hope that they make it. So maybe I'm, I'm going to stand up for private equity companies in this. Like so a lot of the businesses they take over, even though they cut costs and to the bone and they fire people and stuff, like isn't the alternative worse that the business just ceases to run? Uh, maybe. I don't know. So I guess you you're could... saying, so maybe you have some sort of rate, some sort of debt to equity ratio that you have to, if it's above this certain level, you can't be loaned any more money. Something like that. Is that what yes. it is? I think that makes sense. Okay. That could be reasonable. But there was an article in the New York Times about, again, the New York Times, talking about a bunch of doctors and lawyers and engineers that are starting funds because they're bored with mutual funds. Now, this headline seems very toppy, but it looks like they've been doing this, I think it's said, for like six or seven years. Dr. Keith Wright, a dermatologist in Atlanta, is part of a group of lawyers and business people in the city who have been pooling their money for about... Oh, here it is. For about six years, in search of the outsides returns of private equity. I mean, this article is really nothing. There was nothing really in here. Doctors and dentists since the beginning of time have been looking for crazy stuff to invest in. This ha- like they'll invest in real estate. Have you ever been around a group of doctors before? This is how no, you know I've you're around. A- this is how you know you're around a group of doctors. They tell you they're a doctor right away. <laughs> Wait, I feel like you just made that up. You've never been around a group of doctors. Okay. It, and friends, we have a lot of doctors that live in my I know people who have been around groups as doctors, and that yes. sounds like something I would say. Yes. But That's my Chris Farley I, from Billy Madison. I was thinking about this. I know a guy. So, but doctors and like these are the people that will always get taken advantage of in something that sounds like a really good investment because the stock market is too boring for them. Right? Like they have they have the money to spend and it, and probably like they probably do have some sort of capital that they can take these sorts of risks with but like this is not a new thing this is not a sign of the times this is just what like these amateur investors are always doing well said do you remember the Arian Foster IPO talk yes what was it called that was FanDuel Fantex okay oh that's okay right that was in 2013. And so how has your performance been in your Arian Foster stock? Well, he, he actually did an IPO because he got injured. But I don't know if the company ever actually gained traction. Okay. Oh, no. This story says Arian Foster isn't going public anymore in 2015. Fake news from you. So, what do you mean? Uh, I just said he never IPO'd. <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess it never got off the ground. I mean, it, it makes sense. But the, it, Wait, did it's he kind do of a direct in, listing? Yeah, him and Slack. I mean, it's kind of interesting because... It feels like these a lot of these players are like trading cards anyway these days, or like trading stocks anyway because they jump from team to team so often. So, who knows? Maybe uh, you can invest in anything these days, I suppose. Okay, do you remember Mira Sorvino, actress? Of course I do. Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. I feel like this is one that you would have seen from her called Mimic, where she's like a she works at a museum and some animal of crawls co- out of one of the crates or something. Of course, I saw Mimic. Okay. I don't know. I don't know what she's been doing lately. Wait, hold on. Before you get into her, let me just say, 
I prefer, I feel like Mimic was sort of a ripoff of, well, there was like a time for, there's monster movies. Have you seen The Relic? Sounds familiar. Great movie. They're in the Chicago Museum of Natural History. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. And a That's monster funny. comes up. What? So there's What's The funny? Relic and then Mimic, like within a year of each other. That's that what I'm sounds, saying. That sounds about right. Kind of like the uh, Armageddon in Deep Impact. Yes. The meter. Okay. So I, I guess she was a big, she, she, surprisingly, she won an Oscar. At, for, for what? Some Woody Allen movie in the 90s, Mighty Aphrodite. <laughs> I didn't realize that. She was Best Supporting Actress. But she was, on, she was interviewed on Yahoo Finance the other day, and I thought her comments were interesting. So she said, <laughs> what? <laughs> How did you even find that? Did somebody send it to you? Someone sent me this story and said, read some of the quotes in here. She, okay. So she was interviewed on Yahoo Finance, and she said, I'm not a gambler. I don't enjoy playing with money and seeing it go down. So she said, like the headline is, she's not a fan of the stock market. She said... She invested in the stock market early in her career, but lost money after 9-11 and the Great Recession and realized that market timing was not for her. Things plummeted and I had to pull out money before I could grow back. Now if I kept it in, but you know, literally my kid's college fund has gone down in the past year and I'm like, what? What? No, no, no. We're putting money in. That number should be steadily rising. And so she basically says, I don't trust the stock market. So my question to you is, there's people who make mistakes in investing and, and you try to like advise them and help them get better. Are people with this sort of mindset that they think the stock market is rigged or that it never works, is there any saving these people that don't understand like the idea of risk and reward or are they, is it a lost cause? Lost cause. I think in many cases, it's not just an education thing where they misunderstand or, or they just don't know how the stock market works. But I think this is a personality thing. Right. So unfortunately, there are probably people who just can't. And honestly, if you're someone who works in Hollywood, maybe you make enough money where it doesn't really matter. And you, you're just, you, you already made enough and it, it, it doesn't really matter what you do with it. But yeah, because there's a difference between helping people who are already investing and, and understand the idea of risk and then, you know, minimizing the mistakes versus not trusting the market at all. So should I follow her into gold? <laughs> Is that where she's going? Oh, I'm surprised she didn't mention Bitcoin at all. That seems like a, a worthy, but no, because it goes down. Okay. So did you read this paradigm? Par- How do you say the word? Paradigm or paradigm? This is our niche versus paradigm? niche of the week. Paradigm. Yeah, sorry. Wait, was that a joke? <laughs> yes, that was my niche versus niche for the week. Oh, wait, but it's, paradigm. That's what, that's what it looks like, right? Oh, okay. Anyway, paradigm shifts from Ray Dalio from Bridgewater, which he blogs on LinkedIn, which I still think is hilarious. Did you read this? It was a really long piece. Nope. Okay. Did not even open it. Okay. <laughs> I'll give you the... This, like the summary was very good. He went back and he, I mean, this is a, he went over the last hundred years. So we went back to like the 1920s and he showed like these huge shifts in what happens in the markets and the economy every decade. And some of it was a little too neat because just because a new decade starts doesn't mean something new is happening. And he talked a lot about like what happens with the Fed and how like what happens when there's too much debt in the system. And one interesting point he made was that like the F- Fed and monetary policy shifts back and forth between like helping debtors at the expense of creditors by keeping interest rates down. And then there's the other side, helping creditors at the expense of debtors by keeping real interest rates up. And he had all these really great things. And he said, listen, I can't predict when this shift is going to happen, but I think something is going to happen soon. And I think those who will the do classic be- saying something with saying nothing. It was a lot of, a little bit of that. But he said, I think that these are unlikely to be good, real returning investments in talking about equities and private equity and VC. And that those that will most likely do best will be those that do well when the value of money is being depreciated and domestic and international conflicts are significant, such as gold. So the TLDR that I did not expect was buy gold, which was okay. an interesting. It just he said a lot of like interesting stuff about the economy, and then he said buy gold, which 
and there was really no, like, here's why you should do it. It was just like, things are crazy, buy gold. I, okay. I don't know. It just, it was, it was a good novel with a crappy ending, is what I'm saying. Maybe, you know, maybe he's right, but like, looking at back at all the shifts throughout history, like, does that ever make it any easier to predict what the next shifts are going to be? Besides saying, like, ah, oh, there's going to be a crash eventually. Well, I had a thought of a question about private equity. Okay. I was reading uh, VC in American History, which I put on hold because I just started rereading Super Forecasting, which is very good, as good as I remember. Yes, it aged well. And there was a section in the book saying that in the 1950s, investors wanted no part of venture capital and private equity because the stock market was booming. And it sort of reminded me of this New York Times article, even though it's sort of anecdotal. But it is sort of odd to think that we're going to have a recession and public equities are going to be hit or, or you know, lower expected returns, and therefore you should invest in private equities. Like if public companies are going to do bad, wouldn't it stand to reason that private companies are going to do bad also? Yes, they're just going to do bad on a lag because it takes them so long to revalue those companies. But the thing that I don't get about these days is that people keep blaming what's going on on cheap money. You know, interest rates are so low, so that's why these venture and private deals keep going through. But like the 90s was one of the craziest decades in history in terms of like blowing a bubble. I looked the other day. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to try to write a piece about this. The average 10-year treasury in the 90s, what do you guess? The average 10-year treasury yield throughout the decade 5. of the 90s. 5.8. It was like 7% almost, like 6.7%. And so there's a huge difference between like appetite for risk and interest rate yields. So that's a, there's, there's totally different things. So just because interest rates are low now does not mean that people automatically take more risk with their money. I think it's just that investors have become more accepting of private deals. And in a lot of ways, they're becoming more like public markets. Now did Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. So, I mean, right, yeah, Japan for 30 years. Why, haven't, why hasn't there been a huge influx of private equity money in venture capital in Japan when they've had interest rates at zero negative for 30 years, basically? How do you know there hasn't been? I don't know, facts. Facts? Yeah. Like, there's, there hasn't been? Challenge. You know <laughs> okay. nothing about the Japanese private equity market. <laughs> why isn't the Walkman still alive then? Sony Walkman, dead. Venture capital didn't AirPod. save it. AirPod. Oh, wait, iPod, not AirPod. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about who uses like leveraged ETFs and who, who could use them kind of responsibly. And someone sent me this thread from Bogleheads uh, a long time ago, which is a hugely, enormously popular website for those who don't know. And this one person did a... They're, they're going to carve out a strategy, 15% of their portfolio, where they use 60% in the triple leveraged... 10-year or, or long-term treasury, so like the 20 to 30-year treasury, and 40% in the long-term or in the S&P 500 triple leveraged. And they show like they go back into this huge back test on what this would have been like. And they show that over... They, I think they start in the... They go from 1987 to 2018. They show, well, if you would have done triple levered treasuries and with a triple levered S&P, you would have had like a 17% return versus just 10% in the Vanguard 500 index. And the drawdown is kind of similar because stocks and bonds can kind of offset one another. So taking that leverage, this is like a risk parity fund. And it sounded kind of interesting. The guy went through a really long, detailed analysis of this. 
But obviously, since the 80s, interest rates have gone down and stocks have gone up. So both stocks and bonds have done really well. So leveraging two asset classes that have done really well, obviously, is going to work pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I sent this to our resident fact checker, uh, Jake at Economic, and he kind of did some analysis for me. He went back to the 1960s on this. And I got a chart for this. He shared it on Twitter, but I'll share it on our show notes as well. So he showed a 60-40 portfolio that's just regular stocks and long-term treasuries versus a 40% stocks triple levered and a 60% treasuries triple levered. And showed in the 70s from 1962 to 1980, basically, that portfolio was down like 70%. And then ever since the 80s, it's done enormously well. So all of that... So this is kind of one of those things why just looking at a an annual return number is kind of difficult to gauge a strategy because... It actually helps looking at rolling return numbers to see how bad things can get. But obviously, the 70s is kind of like you're now do Japan thing because right, nothing in the worked. 70s, stocks and bonds both did Actually, horribly. gold. Gold worked quite well. Yeah. It, you just had to go on and mine the bars yourself or something to own them back then. And I think pay like a 10% commission to buy them. But right. still, no, gold did So the great, idea but- is, of course, if stocks and bonds both do terribly at the same time, then a levered portfolio of those at the same time, it's going to do really bad. I guess that's that's the idea here. Yeah. But it was inter- it was an interesting subset. And this guy said, listen, I know this is a lot of work. The funny thing was, he said he put $100,000 in and it's 15% of his portfolio. And he hopes within 20 or 30 years, that $100,000 grows to like 10 million bucks or something, which is a little... That's uh, ambitious. Maybe, yeah, ambitious. But it's but interesting to read if you're into this kind of stuff. Two observations. Well, one, I think having 15% of your, of your portfolio in a strategy like this is totally in bounds. I can I can get behind that if you can. Yes, stick it to wasn't this. the whole thing. I I agree. If you're gonna do it and you right size the position and you understand what you're getting yourself into, sure, have fun. Yeah, but the other thing is like when looking at back tests, you, you know, you like take a quick glance at this thing. You're like, oh, okay, but look at these drawdowns. Like for instance, look at early 1990. It looks like the S&P 500 was down 15 percent. This thing was down 30. Yeah, that's a and big then difference. again, in, and then again in 94 when the Fed hiked. S&P down, I don't know, 5%, this thing down close to 30. Right. And then again, over the recent years, this thing has had multiple 15, 20% drawdowns where stocks really haven't. So to do this in size is probably impossible because you're going to get scared out. But And I would imagine like the, the rebalancing on this would have to be like some, occasionally there's going to be like some enormous rebalances when stocks and bonds diverge. So... Yeah, but an interesting case study in like how someone could potentially use these, and this person is using them, or they, so they say so, in a strategy that is, if you're into like risk on steroids, this is your, this is where you go, I guess. So Ben, I think it's time that we uh, spend shame people. <laughs> Let's do it. Do you know the number one thing that Americans bust their budget on? Did you read this? I did. I can't tell if this, this is why we don't like surveys. The number one thing Americans bust their budget on is dining out, according to a research released by the financial company Principal. Nearly one in three Americans said that dining out was their top budget buster for them, followed closely by food and groceries. Wait, what? So they're busting their budget on food? Yes, they're basically busting their budget on staying alive. So they're damned if they eat it and they're damned if they eat out. So when we talked to Rami, he talked about like, don't talk about like $3 questions, talk about $30,000 questions. This is more like talking about a $300 question, maybe. And I think people probably just... I mean, Obviously, for some people, especially families, food can be a pretty big part of the budget. But th- there's no way that your food is going to make or break you, right? Unless you live in New York City and you eat out every day. This still gets back to the idea that like your home, where you live, 
what your income is, and then your sort of mode of transportation, those are all way more important than going out occasionally and spending your money on going out, right? Yep. But this all, they also say that this is why Americans are broke and fat. So <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, I, I, I feel like this is just a survey where people probably just don't understand where their money is going or how the whole budgeting process works, correct? But again, if you went out to eat every day in New York City, could you like go broke? Absolutely, right? Yeah. Looks like we have no listener question, so why don't I just ask you a question? Okay. So we spoke a lot about content on the show. You bought Spotify stock for your kids? Yes. No. From, that was just my personal fun account. I bought my kids Disney a few months okay. ago. So Spotify, what's your risk management, bro? <laughs> well, I'm using the Fibonacci 0.75 retracement, and I'm going to sell every time. Five noob whale. Okay. I don't know. I this is one of my fun money account, and I heard him on a podcast. Daniel Eck is the uh, is the CEO and founder, and I was so impressed with him. I'm like, I want to own this company, even though they're technically valued at the same amount like the whole music industry was a few years ago. And I don't even use Spotify. I was just so impressed with him. It's a very small position, so I bought Spotify. How is how is your trading account going? Actually, funny you ask. I don't want to brag, but let's see. I put $1,000 in, and now it's 1038 Oh, hey There you go. Nailed it. Okay, any other? I got a few recommendations. You got any more? Oh, this might be controversial. Have you ever read A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or The Hitchhiker's Guide? No. I'm about 60% of the way through. Considered a classic by many, right? Yeah, I don't get it. I'm, no. I'm struggling with it. When did it come out? How old is it? I don't even know. 1978, I believe. Okay. Doesn't age well? I don't like. I'm I'm not having fun with it, and I kind of like that genre. Okay. Like I, I can get into sci-fi, but I don't know. Didn't do it for you, huh? Okay. Well, I'm I'm probably a little bit behind you, but our friend Tadas and colleague at Abnormal Returns recommended one giant leap to us about the moon landing. It was pretty good timing too, because they've there's been all this stuff about the 50 year anniversary. Book is so good. It's like a history book as well as is stuff on the moon. I I love the the frame of reference for the book that they said people were worried that after we landed on the moon, we didn't really do anything else in space. But all the technology that went in that decade to get us to the moon has really led to... like They talked about how there really was no technology industry before. Right, it was all like uh, defense contractors. like That was technology. Yeah. And, like and after companies. that, there was this huge boon in, in the technology sector, basically, from all the work that went into the moon landing. So I thought that was kind of a fascinating look. Did you say boon? With yes. An yes. Is that proper or is it boom? No. Boon is like something that is helpful or beneficial. Never heard that okay. before? Okay. I, th- I don't know. I feel like I have. But sometimes when you're talking, you, you really notice things better. Like I feel like I feel like from doing the podcast, I have a better appreciation of how little I understand the English language. Fair. Yeah, that's pretty good. I can, uh, I can agree with that. Okay. I finished Stranger Things last week. I talked about it a little bit halfway through. I loved it. I thought the second season, I was like, okay, this is a show that's probably not going to age well. The third season was just like a home run. It was just as good as the first. Didn't you watch the first season and give up? I, I, well, I didn't give up. Okay. I mean, it was, a, it was an active decision to stop watching. Okay. Like, I think if you liked the first season, you could skip the second one and go into the third and still not miss a beat. And the really? third one, I thought, I thought was really good. Really, well. They could have probably ended the series. I know they're going to keep going. But like, they could have had it be a finale for the series, and it would have been really good. Uh, Big Little Lies was 
I feel like Big Little Lies is kind of like if Kevin Durant went to the 73-win Warriors, like that's Meryl Streep as Kevin Durant, and then they missed the playoffs. That's what Big Little Lies was this this season. Like there was no reason that, for did it. Did you write that down? I thought about tweeting it out. That was a verbal tweet <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I was going to say, although if you, if that was off the cuff, that would have been very impressive. It's, it's no, not I'm, manufactured. I'm, I no, I, I thought about it as because like they got one of the greatest actresses in history to an already loaded cast, and the whole season was just kind of a dud. It like it, that should have been a one season show, just like the that OA. Was, that was a, the, that was a quality verbal tweet. Oh, thank you. Should I put that out on Twitter on the Twitter sphere? <laughs> Uh, or did I ruin it? If I put it on Twitter, you have to like it. You got to promise me. Okay. Uh, the OA was another one that should have just been one season. Did oh, you, you watched watch the, the second? What are you nuts? I know it was like it started off good. I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of picking up, and it, then it just got super weird and uh, just went off the rails. Like after a few episodes, but then I with some TV shows, I have I have like the sunk cost thing gets me. Where I thought I'm you like, had an eight percent stop on that. I know, I usually do, but I'm like a I'm like a trader where like I just want to break even. If I can just get yeah. back to even, <laughs> like if if you watch the finale and the finale's good, then you're like, oh, I'm back to even. <laughs> and then the finale's bad and you're like, I, I'm gonna sell at a loss. Hope is not a strategy. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for those trading that trading wisdom. If you put that on like a sunset and put it on Instagram, you'll do well for yourself. Okay. Keep reading Super Forecasters. We're going to try to do that one for next week, right? It's Super Forecasting, by the way. I got that wrong, too. All right. And and I'm going to push for Against the Gods for our next one after listening to Allison Traeger talk with Barry and his podcast. Think about that one. I think that could be our next... uh, That's heavy lifting. You think so? I I love that book, but that's... It's been a long time since I read it, so it might be worth worth a read. We'll talk about that one. All right. AnimalSpiritsPod at gmail.com. I'll see you next week. (laughs) 